In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by Endris & Hauser. A global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation, Endress and Hauser, the people for process automation. Today's guest is Kurt Armbruster. Kurt, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's my pleasure. Okay, so people are going to be surprised at this, and I hope we can explain all this here in just a few minutes. But Kurt, you are by trade a professional geologist. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. You've had 17, I think, 17 years in the industry, you told me. Yes, I did. The last five years was with Shell. However, the last four years, you've had kind of a different occupation, haven't you? Certainly. For for the last four years, I've been a stay-at-home parent with raising a little daughter of ours. And you're actually teaching her online. She's in the first grade. Is that right? Yes, she is. In Calgary here, we have the Calgary Board of Education, and they have an online hub system where a grade one teacher from the board does online work with the child and and a parent or a coach helps them with the rest of the schoolwork. It's been a lot of fun for the last couple months. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Calgary, which reminded me I should have asked you and I always try to talk to our guests about where they are while we have these interviews because before COVID, we always did face-to-face interviews and we always made arrangements for people from, you know, all over the, the country or, or even all over the world. We waited for when they would come into Houston and then we would interview them face to face. But now with, you know, since COVID and everybody locked down in their home offices or their basements or, or whatever, here recently we've interviewed somebody from London, interviewed several people from Colorado and other States far, far away, and now here you are in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And as a matter of fact, next week I'll be interviewing somebody from Paris who works with the Total. So you listen to our introduction of this HSE podcast, and we really are about people coming home safely. That's what we think HSE is all about. You have that beautiful British voiceover who talks about that and introduces the show. Then I come on with this Texas accent. So between that and all the people we interview, like you in Canada, this HSE podcast probably has the most international flavor of any OGGN podcast that you will listen to. You're in Calgary. For those who may not be familiar with Calgary, I think most people have probably heard of BAMP, and they've also heard of Lake Louise, and you're not very far from there, are you, Kurt? We're pretty close, and every summer my family does a little camping trip. We pack up the trailer and head out to Banff. One of our other common destinations is Drumheller, where it's one of the dinosauriest places on Earth. And Back in my university days, I actually worked out there at the Royal Tyrrell Museum digging up dinosaurs for a few summers. It was one of the best jobs ever. Wow, that's extremely interesting. For those, we never know when you may be listening to this podcast, but we're in about the middle of October as we speak right now, and uh, you already have snow on the ground out there, right? Yeah, we've had our first snowfall of the season just earlier this week, and today we're actually expecting two or three inches. So, so wow, it's, it's been an interesting October. 
some people who follow this podcast have heard me talk to some other people and know that uh, when I was a teenager, I actually lived in a place called Lloyd Minster, Alberta, Canada, which is about 150 miles east of you. Uh, no, 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 no. It's more than that. It's 150 miles east of Edmonton. So it's what? 300 miles east of you, right? Yeah, quite a ways northeast of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the first winter we were there was the like the worst winter they had had in the last 50 years. And one week, the high was 25 below. So, And that's not counting the windshield factor. Yeah. Kurt, let's get down to the question of why do I have a professional geologist? Why am I interviewing a professional geologist on an HSE program? Even though you haven't been specifically in the industry for the last four years. Your last five years was with Shell, and now you've been the stay-at-home parent for the last four years. Now she's kind of growing up, and you may be looking to get back into the industry, but you've kind of kept your hands in it to a certain extent because you're a volunteer director of the Canadian Society of Professional Geologists, correct? Yes, I am. Yep. And then they have many technical divisions and you chair one of them, which is the technical division? The technical division were the operations geology technical division. Okay. So again, back to the question of why is a geologist on an HSE program? Let's talk about that for just a minute because actually, and a lot of people may not have thought about this. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons we're having this conversation is is we want to bring this to, to people's attention in perhaps ways that some people don't. But geology plays a, an important role in the safety of drilling a well, correct? It absolutely does. As it turns out, everything boils down to what's happening in the subsurface, and that's all geology. And, well, let's, um, let's talk about, maybe you can, can help us out here, because I don't think, even though this is an oil and gas podcast, we're all involved in the oil and gas industry, all in various different aspects, and, and this specifically relates to HSE. But of course, I say that no matter what division you're in, you're concerned about health, safety, and the environment. So the HSE podcast is really for everybody. But a lot of people that listen to the podcast have have probably never actually gone to what we call a spud meeting and then watch the rig come in and get set up and mobilized. And then that first turn into the right happens and you actually start drilling into the earth and you're going to go down usually several several thousand feet i'm reminded of that joke about the two salesmen they met each other in the bar in the hotel and the one salesman said to the other he said you know it's it's kind of boring let's play a little game just try to entertain ourselves and the guy said well i'm game for that he said well let me tell you how this game works he said i ask myself a question and if i can't answer it then i buy you a drink and the other guy said, well, how many drinks have you already had? Because that, that doesn't make any sense. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I ask myself a question. If I can't answer it, I buy you a drink. But then you ask yourself a question. And if you can't answer it, you buy the drink. The guy said, this is the dumbest game. And he said, and we'll keep doing that till, till one of us can't answer the question. The guy said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. But go ahead. He said, well, here's my first question. How does a rabbit burrow a hole deep in the ground without throwing mud on the outside? He said, that's my question. How does a rabbit burrow a hole on the inside without throwing mud on the outside? And he said, my answer is he starts from the inside. And the other guy says, how does he do that? And this guy said, I don't know. That's your question. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about drilling. Let's talk about 
throwing mud out of let's talk about drilling a hole what actually we start drilling in the ground and then what happens yeah well as you're drilling in the ground several things happen at the same time so the the bits rotating to the right as you said and as it's turning it's generating drill cuttings and we need a way to get those drill cuttings out of the hole and we need a way to keep what's in the hole in the hole so to speak so we use a, a mud system and there's two basic kinds of mud systems. There's an oil-based mud where the solvent basically is, is an oil. And then there's a water-based mud system where the solvent is a water. And both systems have several kinds of additives to add weight or density to the, the liquid. But the purpose of the liquid is to raise the cuttings out and it pushes the cuttings out of the hole as the bit breaks up the rock. It also is our primary safety process, our primary barrier to keeping what's down hole in the hole. So the weight of the mud offsets the weight of any fluid that happens to be in the stratigraphy we're drilling through. So if you're drilling down into a formation and it's full of highly pressurized gas, which is usually the case, or perhaps oil, that oil in the subsurface is under pressure and you want your mud system to have a pressure at the bottom of the hole high enough to keep that oil or gas or whatever fluid happens to be in the formation in the formation. You don't want it coming up the hole. And if your mud weight is too small, if it's too little, your density at the hole or at the bottom of the hole or the density of your fluid isn't high enough that the weight at the bottom of the hole can overpower the pressure of the formation. And when that happens, and when bad that happens, happen. bad things happen. The fluids, be it gas or oil or even water, that are in the formation start coming up the hole instead of staying in the formation. And when that happens, it starts to displace your mud, which means you have even less pressure holding that fluid down. And so more fluid comes in. And if you don't catch it and get in control of it quickly, you're going to wind up with a blowout. And that's one of the worst things that can happen, right? You can lose people die or people can die. We had the rig that, burns down. The rig burns down. We had that incident in Oklahoma two or three years ago now. Like five people were standing in the doghouse watching the fluid come up and then it caught fire and you know that those five people didn't go home, right? Yeah, exactly. So you kind of have a passion for this and have studied a lot of these blowouts and you have some ideas and I think you even have some various models that we'll talk about, which can actually serve as a precursor to having the kind of problem that you're describing where you have the potential for blowout, right? Correct. Yep. Well, let's talk about those. And it has to do with, well, if I understand it correctly from, and you can explain this to our audience, but I know my company cleans up oil spills and, and cleans up saltwater spills in West Texas here two or three years ago, there was a blowout where they actually drilled into a pressurized zone. And what it actually blew out was it blew out salt water for actually several days before they could get the well under control. And I talked to an old drilling engineer, petroleum engineer, old graduate of Texas A&M way back in the 50s or the 60s. And he said, he said, oh, yes, yeah. said, I worked for Exxon. We used to drill in that area all the time back in the 80s. He said, but our geologists told us to look for that and to expect that so that we wouldn't have a blowout. 
Yeah. So that's kind of, and as it turned out, the people who were drilling on this particular well did not have any experience in the area. They didn't know to look for that. They also didn't know what to do once it started started happening because they didn't know what to, you know, to look for it in the in the first place. And this is what caused the problem. And you believe that if you take the right approach, these kinds of things won't happen if, if you take the right approach from a geological perspective, correct? Indeed. My philosophy is silos are bad and integration is good. The siloization of your team when nobody's talking to each other, that leads to things like blowouts and kicks happening. But when you're working together as an integrated team and everybody's contributing and everybody's talking to each other, that's when things go smoothly and that's the best way you can avoid things. In my last few years at Shell, Shell was really encouraging a regime of process safety. I've come to think of process safety. API has a big, long definition about what process safety is. But you know, if you were to sum it up in one sentence, it's basically it's everything you do in the office with respect to the planning and design of a project. When it comes to drilling wells, process safety could be, for a geologist, as simple as picking tops. And the reason picking tops is important is if the tops of the where your formations yeah, happen you, to be. Yeah, you better you better stop right there and, and first of all define tops. I'm actually an old drilling fluids mud engineer myself. I know exactly what you're talking about, but yeah, explain what a top is. Certainly, a top geologically speaking is where the top of a layer of rock happens to come in relative to the depth of the well, and. So when I'm picking my tops, picking my formation tops on all the offset wells in the area, I want to make sure I have that as precise and as accurate as I can make it. Because if my top is off by 30, 40, 50 feet, an incident can happen. If that formation happens to be overpressured and your top is off by you know, meters or tens of meters or you know, several tens of feet, if that top comes in unexpectedly high relative to where you've picked it on your drilling prognosis, which is a list of all the expected formations you expect to encounter while you're drilling the well, and you're not ready for that pressure, that's when an incident can happen. Yeah, so the mud engineer out there needs to know when you're coming to the, in fact, this should already have been put down in a program, but he should know when he gets to a certain depth, he's going to hit a formation where there's more pressure than before, he's got to start wading up the mud so that he's prepared when he gets into that zone. Exactly. And so how do you know what these pressures are? In the United States, it may be a little different, but in Canada, we have a wonderful advantage is that all well data becomes public knowledge after a given period of time. In most of the regimes here in Canada, you get a set period of time, depending on whether you're drilling a development well or an exploration well, you get a longer confidentiality period. But after a set period of time, all that data becomes public. And there are several data providers in Canada that collate this data and collect it and put it out in mapping project or software. And so for us, with all this data, you can just go to any well in these databases and find out if there's been drill sim tests, if there's been flow tests, if there's been flow and buildup tests or engineering tests on pressure and collect these, put them into a nice little table and 
ultimately build something called a pore pressure fracture gradient diagram. And that's a critical part in your well planning because you want to know what your pore pressures are before you get to them because that's how you're going to gauge your mud. The other side of that is a geomechanical study where you're trying to understand what your fracture gradient, because if your pressure is too high, your mud is going to frack the rock in the subsurface while you're drilling. And when you frack the rock, your mud's going to go into that formation. And again, when your mud goes into the formation, your mud levels go down and you're losing pressure at the bottom of the hole and you could lose control of your well from that happening too. So there's a definite balance. You can of, have too much weight and you can have too little weight. Exactly. There's, there's definitely a balance. You want to be right there in the middle. Even on the low side, there's a point where geomechanically, if your mud pressure is just a little bit too low, you can be high enough that you're still keeping your formation pressure at bay, but you're not quite high enough that your well isn't going to collapse on you. So there's a definite balance in where you want your mud weight. And so you've kind of developed a little program to kind of help all of this, especially for maybe a smaller operator who, you know, isn't an Exxon and doesn't have a whole team of geologists. And you can actually find this program I think on your LinkedIn site, is that correct? Yeah, I wrote a workflow. It was about visualizing well incidents. And what I've done was I was using a program called Petrel, which Slumberjay produces. And you don't have to use that program. You can do it with PowerPoint if you want, or even Excel. But I was using Petrel to do this. Where I was working, it was in the province of British Columbia. And the British Columbia regular has an awesome database of well incidents. And so you could just go on to the, the BC regulators website and download it for free. It's quite amazing. And it tells this particular database has every incident going back to the early 80s and late 70s where there's been a kick or a blowout on a well in British Columbia. And it gives you the mud weight where it happened or it gives you the depth where it happened, the formation where it happened. There's a lot of great information in there, but it's all in a big Excel spreadsheet, basically. And my process was I took this Excel spreadsheet and I visualized it in geological space. Geologists commonly make what's called a cross-section, which is basically, if you imagine a line going, representing vertical space, and on either side of that line, you'll have petrophysical well curves perhaps a gamma ray or a density curve showing the wellbore density or the density of the formations or porosity of the formations or the resistivity of the formations. There's many different petrophysical curves that you could use. But I was displaying these well incidents versus the gamma ray because most commonly when you're drilling in, in the present days, a gamma ray tool is going to be at the bottom of the hole near your bit. So you can actually see the formations as you're drilling. And so my cross-section idea was I took every well that had an incident within a 10 or 20 mile radius from my well, and I would plot that in the cross-section space along with the geological tops against the gamma ray. And so what that does is it gives you a visual tool against vertical space and the depths and the formations where these incidents has happened. And my ultimate vision was 
you could print out this cross-section and send it to the rig. And during a JSA or a job safety assessment at the beginning of every shift, you could pull out this cross-section and say, hey team, we're at this depth. If you get to this depth, if you look adjacent to us, you know, we have a formation where there's been five, 10, 15, however many incidents there have been in the area. And you can you know, start to share that information with your team and say, you know, look, we're coming onto a zone that's known to be problematic. Let's prepare for it just in case something happens. Exactly. Well, and so if people go to your LinkedIn site, you actually have this program you're talking about. You have it pinned there on your LinkedIn. Is that correct? Yep. If you go into my LinkedIn profile, it's at kurtarmbruster.ca. That'll redirect you straight to my LinkedIn profile and go to my articles. It's the top article there. It's pinned right at the top. And again, like we said, for operators who aren't large enough to have a huge arsenal of geologists on staff, this could be an invaluable tool, especially in you know what we call process safety and considering the importance of geology and well safety. So Kurt, I really appreciate the time. This has, I think, been very interesting. And this kind of information certainly could be the kind of thing that, as is our goal, make sure everyone comes home safe. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Please tune in next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. And check out our other OGGN podcast. Just Google OGGN podcast. Find out more about Anderson Hauser by going to cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. That's where you can register also for our monthly podcast giveaway. This also helps let Anderson Hauser know that you're listening and enjoying the podcast. And if you didn't get that address, we'll put it in the show notes, along with also where you can follow us on our LinkedIn address at Anderson Hauser Group and on Twitter at Endress underscore US. Folks, please leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoy these podcasts and please tell your friends about us and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the OilCom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. 
Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.